the twilight of the gods' nears. Brother will kill brother. Families will be sundered by murder. Four ages are afoot. An axe age, a sword age, where shields are cloven. A wind age, a wolf age, where the world falls. No one shall be spared. Welcome to Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion RPG podcast. Prepare for adventure. The following takes place between Chapter 2 and Chapter 3. Again, in the penthouse in Ocean City overlooking the ocean, the gentleman puts down his phone, smiles widely. They've got her! That competent Nick came through once again. Though, I must depart. Allow me a moment to go to the closet. I have to change something more fitting to be at the docks. The gentleman strodes over to his closet and opens up a large closet full of many different exotic costumes and uniforms. He reaches over to to a Ziploc bag and starts to pull out foul-smelling Filthy clothes that look like something someone who works on the docks would wear every day. A large pair of pants, a rain slick, and a few other obscure items that don't seem to be the usual taste of this fine gentleman who has nice combed hair and a suit. He sits before a makeup mirror, and his companion, whose cinders flicker in his eyes, watches his deft hands change his face, marring him with makeup dirtying his cheeks, even putting in a fake set of dentures, and then finally finishing it off with a wig. The face that looked back at him in the mirror was not his own, for he has practiced through a long time of makeup, learning to disguise his features and look like other people, common everyday people who would be not looked at, not noticed. He proceeded to grab a workman's belt tilts his head over to his friend, who is still sitting there cindering. My friend, please don't set off the smoke detectors again. I can tell that you're anxious. I can smell the whiffs of smoke coming off of you. It cost me a pretty penny to disable all of the fire alarms up in this room. Please don't burn down my place before you leave. I must go down to the docks and see what I can see. Hopefully, when I finish, I'll call Nick, and he'll be able to give me more information on our package. And maybe I'll even let you have some time with her to loosen her tongue and make her cooperate. Perhaps she may even get a mark from Grandfather. That will make her even more cooperative and guaranteed to be on our side. The gentleman walks out the door, now slunched over like someone who has a long, worn back from the Hard days labored down, lifting ropes and heavy objects at the docks. Whistling a little sea ditty under his breath. Do I see somebody who works there? 
two people bustling hey, around. Buddy, hey, I'm looking for the sea hag. Is there a sim <laughs> out there? You're looking for the sea hag. I've married three of them. <laughs> Listen to me. You did a sea hag dock, and I don't mean your wife. A sea hag dock right here. <laughs> Okay, if you're looking for a ship, ma'am, you have to check with the harbor master. Okay, where's the harbor master? See that gangplank right there? Yeah. Don't take that one. Take that one right there. Take it down three gunny walks, then you take a right, then you take a left, then you go right up there. You see see the building with the blinking light? Why don't you just show me? Huh? Why, why can't you just show me where to go? Why don't you just show me? Well, maybe if you're nice. Well, uh, get you get your little friend there, and we'll go. Follow me. I'll take you guys. Hey, thank you. Hey, you look big. Do me a favor. Hold this rope, and he gives you basically a huge bundle of rope that he would have been sweating to carry. What? Do we work? Hang no. Come on. Hey, uh, you need my hands free for directions. What a gay. Come on. You look in here. Because you Jersey guys talk with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> I need to give that you directions. That is a misnoma. <laughs> so, uh... So, uh, what are you doing here? Are you renting a boat? If you are, I'd say, uh, I'm meeting friends. Ah, well, if, if your friends are going out, be careful. I've been hearing things about, uh, people disappearing and shark stuff. And Have you seen a shark? I haven't seen a shark for 20 years. They say there's many good sharks, but you know, I swam out here as a kid all the time, ever since that whole 1916 Jersey yeah, shark yeah, attack thing. Yeah, yeah, we all thing. heard about that. We all heard about They'd that. they just be crazy talk. Probably the, the, the tourists coming and doing those shark trips and doing the shark hunting contests. Yeah. Okay, so are we about close yet? And he takes you a little and says, see that building right there where those people are crowded around? Right Perfect. there. Tell Sal I sent you. Sal? Okay. Sal. He's, he's the hubbard Thank you. Thank you, Sal. And uh, maybe I'll see you later at uh, one of the, the local drink places. Perhaps. I get off at uh, noon, so uh, <laughs> lunch is on me if I run into you. Okay. Just that uh, I'm not paying to feed this big guy. <laughs> That's okay. Well, maybe later. Maybe. He takes the uh, you're, you're a big guy. I can, I can get you on the union if you want. <laughs> <laughs> the unions, once you go union, you are set for life, my friend. Okay. And he goes over and puts the robe up and locks it in the stove. Okay. Okay, so we head towards the uh, harbor master. Mm-hmm. Okay, basically you see the little business situated where they sell food, drink, fishing supplies, boating supplies. You got a little lock box with all the boats, you know, spare keys there that somebody wants to rent a slew and put, put their keys in there for storage. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> a big box full of keys for all these yachts. Think about it. That, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you are a thief. Not my keys. <laughs> And uh, go ahead and describe to these three what they see when you guys come into the harbor. Nails? Yeah. You're, uh, of course you're they have a, French tips. You see, <laughs> <laughs> all are easy. 
The following takes place during chapter three. Gentleman walks down the, the rails from at the docks. He throws a large bundle of rope into the water with a loud splash. He then proceeds to peel out of his coat and throws his hat and it looks like a wig into the water with a slight splash. He then reaches into his coat pocket and pulls out a phone. Inserts a battery into it. The phone rings for a few moments. Then there's an answer. Connect me to room 48, please. He waits a moment. And then you, there's an audible click on the other end. Nick, Nick, Nick. Nicholas, why did I receive a phone call from your cell phone thinking it was you? And then I find out the woman who you were supposed to have at the warehouse is walking around down at the harbor. Some muffled sounds come. What? I don't care about some man. I care about the woman I ordered you to capture. She is very important to my plans. I want you to get her. What? Describe this man that you're fixated on. I, I don't want to know how hunky he is. What's wrong with you, Nicholas? What will your wife say? What? Really? And how long did you... F when did you first feel this way towards this man? Hmm. Nicholas... Describe this man in fine detail to me. Let me know every delicious aspect of his manly form. The gentleman proceeds to walk off, joining the rustle and crowd of the boardwalk. Interesting. Very, very interesting. The gods work in mysterious ways. Hi, this is Jim from Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion Hero to Ragnarok podcast, and the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And I'd just like to say thank you for listening, and may fate always be on your side. Welcome to Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion Hero to Ragnarok podcast. Currently, our group's gearing up for the next big story in a big way. When I asked them what they would like to play next, the group gave me themes, which this time we got Iceland, Giants, Mining Dwarves, and the virtues of Enduring Hardship and Loyalty. Together, we're writing up a story that will include some of my most loved Icelandic folklore themes, which are mystical beings, magic and magicians, natural history, outlaws, humorous stories, superstitions, and the antidotes that arise from them. I'm hoping all of these ingredients will cook down into an amazing story for all of us to enjoy. While I'm writing up the stories and deepening the plot, we all know how adventures seem to take a life of their own and evolve and change in different ways that we didn't see coming. So one thing I'm doing for fun is I'm starting an article on our website, creativeplayandpodcastnetwork.com. 
On the article tab, if you click on it, look for Ragnarok and Roll the Icelandic Sagas. On that tab, I'm going to be posting articles once or twice a month of interesting things that I discovered there from time to time. Like in Iceland, Brennivin is an alcoholic beverage called the Black Death, and I might throw a little more information on your way about that. As well as teasers and things that will be reimagined for our Scion game and made a little more godly. The reason I'm bringing this up is I have read and listened to many Icelandic tales over the years, but never had any first-hand experience. And one of the things I would love is that if any of our listeners out there have any pictures, stories, first-hand experience of any trips they've taken to Iceland, I would love for them to share their stories of that beautiful country. In Iceland, there's, there's a, a phrase in Icelandic that says, Ed ganga med bak i magnum. Roughly, it means everyone gives birth to a book. Literally, of course, it translates to everyone has a book in their stomach. But the meaning of it is everyone has a story to tell. And we'd love to give you this chance to share your own stories, especially if it's about a place we're going to be creating an adventure in. And after all, some of these things may become part of our long-standing podcast for years to come. So please, share your stories, especially if it has something of a touch of humor or something mystical about it. And if you'd like to send it anonymously, you can always email us at scionherotogod at outlook.com. That's S-C-I-O-N-H-E-R-O-T-O-G-O-D at outlook.com. And please just request that your story be kept anonymous. Well, enough of things to come in the future. For now, shall we begin this Thor's Day podcast listening to Kelly and Carrie tell the visitation stories of their characters Trixie and Thora. Now for those, a visitation story is a science origin story. It's basically about the time and place that the divine parent has visited them and ignited the divine fire in their ichor and turned them from mere mortals to the new godly scions who are instruments of fate. So join me now, and I hope you enjoy these great visitation stories. This is the visitation story of Thora, scion of Thor, entitled Daughter of Lightning, Daughter of Thunder. Just one more match to go, and Thora Donnelly will be the female champion of the East Texas Martial Arts Tournament and Expo. Her long, vibrant red hair was braided and wrapped into a tight bun at the back of her head with only a few stray wisps clinging around her face, her brilliant blue eyes flashing as she looked at her opponent. Just one more to go. Thora's mother and father gave her lessons in Taekwondo, Hapkido, Kung Fu, and more. They wanted her to learn some self-control. Thora has a short fuse and can get angry at a drop of the hat, but she was also just as fast to forgive and not hold a grudge. She has a big heart and everybody loves her, but she just needs a little reminding to rein in her natural talents. Along with her big heart, she could have a big head. Most of the time, it was fine. It gave her confidence and self-assurance, but she had to be not too prideful, and the discipline of martial arts was just the thing. Not to mention Thora never backed down from a fight, especially when she was expected to lose. Training was just as much of an outlet for her physically as it was mentally. It worked, too. She got into a lot less trouble at school, she made okay grades, went to a vocational school, and has a real talent for all things electrical. She has a great job as an electrical technician for a big-name satellite provider. Her dad likes to call her the cable man, but there wasn't anything, any electrical device that she couldn't handle or make do what she wanted it to do. Stepping onto the mat, smiling a big smile as she looked down at her opponent, Thor was considered tall for a woman. She was about 5'10", with an athletic build that had been toned and shaped with years of training into a lean, strong woman. She practically loomed over the smaller woman. 
Thor knew from experience that just because she was smaller didn't mean she couldn't take her down and wasn't about to let that happen by underestimating her opponent. She had learned that lesson the hard way. Pride goeth before the fall, as Mama always said. As the announcer was giving the audience their names, schools, and stats, Thor was looking at the audience, waving, her waving when her name was called out, smiling at everyone. That's when she noticed this rather large man with red hair, smiling and waving at her like he knew her. She couldn't recall seeing him before, but he felt familiar. This event allowed for concessions, and he was waving so vigorously that he almost spilled his beer in a plastic cup. So she waved right on back and turned back to the match. She had barely noticed him earlier in the day while doing the sword and spear demonstration for the expo, but he was, not hard, he was hard not to notice at the match. As the hits landed by each competitor, the crowd cheered, but none so much as the big red-haired man. Every time Thor landed a hit, uh, he would woo woo or that's how you do it. She had to keep focus. If she could land her next punch, the match would be hers, and with the speed she didn't even know she had, the hit was made and the match was hers. Thora leaned down to help up her opponent, and her joyful exuberance gave her a big hug that uh, quite surprised the woman. But Thora's genuine amity was infectious, and she even hugged back a bit once she could breathe again from the initial crushing embrace. After the trophy was awarded and the well-wishers subsided, she said goodbye to the rest of her dojo mates as she made her way to the parking garage. She had parked her car on the top level of the garage at the Houston Convention Center, right next to the Hilton, so the soft sunset and the soft sunset was just beginning. Her car was the last one left on that level, so not only was the car easy to spot, but so was the big man sitting on it, just above the front wheel of the driver's side. He had his legs and arms crossed, and he was smi still smiling, the empty beer cup on the hood next to him. On closer inspection, he was more than large. He was huge. He was at least six foot five, and he looked so powerful he could snap a boulder in half. With hands his size, he could probably bowl with them. His shaggy red hair and beard looked like a little looked a little wild, but it was eyes that his eyes that really stood out. His eyes were so blue they almost crackled with energy. Normally one would be wary of large, strange men waiting for you in a lonely parking garage, but he had a charisma about him, a winning smile, and a friendly mien that seemed to offset his obvious potential for fierceness. He just didn't seem that threatening at the moment, at least not to Thora. She walked right up to him and returned a smile. You did real well out there. Nice bit of fighting, he said with a deep, rumbling voice that sounded like thunder in the distance. Thanks, she said. Glad you enjoyed it. Thora put her duffel bag on the ground and held out her hand. The name's Thora, Thora Donnerly, she said. He stood up to his full height and looked down at her, smiling, and took her hand in his giant one and shook it firmly. Would you believe me if I said my name was Thor, god of thunder and lightning, son of Odin the Allfather, wielder of the great hammer Molnir? He said matter-of-factly. Thor looked him up and down. Well, you certainly look the part. Although I would have kind of expected a horned helmet and fur vest. What do I? What can I do for you, mighty Thor? She said lightly. She figured she'll just play along with the guy and see where it went. I don't know where this idea about horns on our helmet came from. It's a but it's a load of dung. As for the fur vests, they never go out of style. He quipped. As they began to talk, Thor noticed the clouds coming in, which was strange. The sky had been so clear minutes before, they almost seemed to gather above them. He didn't seem to notice anything at all, except he seemed amused when she looked to the sky. So if you're Thor, why aren't you off in Scandinavia or Valhalla or something? Why come to a martial arts competition in Houston, she said. She asked, still playing along. 
Why, I came to see you, of course, he replied, smiling even bigger. She was taken aback by that. Me? Why me? I don't even know you. God or man, what do you want with me? She questioned. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because you are my daughter and I have work for you to do. That's why, he said, laughing. As he laughed, the clouds above thundered, matching the rumble of his mirth so that they were as one, blending and roiling together as natural as can be. Thor was speechless, mouth hanging open, trying to assimilate this new information. It was a lot to take in. She was supposed to believe that not only was he some Viking god, but that he was her father as well. Thor always knew that Matt Donnerly wasn't her real father. Her mother Cheryl had married him when Thor was just four years old. Her mother had told her that the, her real father was a guy she met at a bar. He worked there as a bouncer, and she was a waitress. She said that it was where Thor got her blue eyes, red hair, and temper to match. He could drink the bar under the table while keeping the bar guests in line. She loved him, but she knew he wasn't the marrying type and certainly wasn't going to settle down with her and raise a child. So they said their goodbyes amicably and went their separate ways. She said his name was Tom Odinson. When Thora was in high school, she tried to find him, but there was just no record of a man with that name. Now, years later, a man shows up saying he's her father. And not just her father, but the mighty Thor. She was beginning to think he might have drunk one too many beers that day. How do I know you're my father? You could just be some crazy guy that had too much to drink, she replied quickly, and a little angrily. And why would you say you were Thor? Who does that? Seriously. Why should I believe you're my father, and why should I believe you're Thor? Thor was really starting to get mad. This was too much. Prove it, she shouted. He was still smiling, and the wind started rushing, circling them. The clouds started swirling above them, almost a vortex, carrying thunder within. Then lightning began to strike between the clouds in an arc of electricity. He lifts his hand to the sky and shouts a word that she cannot hear in the wind. Suddenly, something comes hurtling towards them from the cloud vortex and slams into his grasp. It was a giant hammer. It was Thor's hammer. It was Mjolnir. Thor was buffeted by the winds, standing breathless, taking in the scene. He walks over to her, and the wind moves around him as though he were in the eye of the storm. And once he is in front of her, she too feels the calm. Hammer in his left hand, he reaches out to her with his right and places it above her heart. At the touch, it is as though lightning is passing between them, and she can feel herself filling with energy, growing stronger. She was taking in the spark of the divine. She could breathe the thunder, and she could ride the lightning. It, she was a daughter of Thor. The house is packed again tonight. Joey's becoming quite the sensation thanks to her. The marvelous Marvolo was the hottest magic act in town. Rumor had it that Vegas was sending scouts. Too bad for Joey that she was about to cut him loose. He wasn't the first magician Trixie had worked with, nor would he be the last. It was a shame, too, as he used to be a nice guy, but their recent success was bringing out the worst in him. Or was it revealing him? When she had met him, he was Joey Marvolo, a two-bit magician with good looks and a cutting wit. It was his finesse at castigating hecklers that got her attention. With some subtle guidance, Trixie turned him into the magical, comedic genius warming up his voice backstage. However, he was swiftly becoming a hindrance rather than an asset. Trixie had adjusted her costume as she joined him on stage. With a slap to her behind, he greeted her with a hyadal and a leer. How's about a kiss for good luck? His breath smelled of bourbon and his hand lingered on her backside. How about you keep your hands to yourself and other appendages, 
she replied and shoved him off as she made her way into position for the first trick. The stage manager was motioning for Joey to do the same. The show was about to go on. Things went smoothly until about halfway through. During the disappearing body trick, Joey started violently throwing up all over the lovely lady from the audience brought on stage to verify his bodiless state. Being just ahead at the time, he was unable to stifle the flow. Little did Joey know, but his usual halftime hit of liquid courage had a little bit extra in it this time. Shortly after the first eruption, the curtain went down. Stagehands were busy escorting the crying woman off stage to clean her up as best they could and extricate the still-heaving Marvolo from his confines. Trixie glared down at him and said in a furious tone, Nice going, jackass. You didn't just kill the show. You buried it six foot under. How the hell am I going to get another gig with this on my resume? She stamped her foot in an award-winning performance and continued, They were filming this one. Get some help, Joey. I'm out of here. Trixie shook her head in mock disgust as she stormed off. She really did hope that he would get some help, though. She hit the dressing room and changed into her party clothes. Time to hit the club scene and scare up a bit of cash flow, since she was technically unemployed now. As she made her way through the crowds, Trixie deftly pilfered pockets and purses for cash. That was one thing she loved about the casino and boardwalk visitors. They carried cash. It saved so much time than trying to fence items or hawk them at pawn shops. Before entering the club of choice this evening, Trixie deposited most of the funds she had purloined on her way. There was a line out the door, but she went straight to the doorman. Trixie-licious, how you doing, girl? The beefy security guard called out with a broad, toothy grin. Sorry to hear about Joey blowing chunks tonight. Well, bad news certainly travels fast around these parts. She smiled and gave him a peck on the cheek. I'm good, Tony. I wasn't in the line of fire. How's the crowd tonight? He opened the door and held it for her. Off the hook as usual. Don't go breaking too many hearts now. Now, Trixie ignored the venomous glances and outcries of people in line as she sauntered in before them. The volume hit her almost like a wave. The crowd undulated with the beat. She slipped her way easily through the press of bodies. Trixie watched the throng with eagle eyes as they paid for drinks. She would make her way to the vicinities of those flashing cash. As soon as they were distracted, she would deftly relieve them of their bills. Trixie's silky outfit left little to the imagination, but she had ample places to hide a little padding, including some large bracelets she had designed herself, and a small clutch purse with a wrist strap. Trixie was in her groove on the dance floor when she noticed a good-looking guy checking her out from a table in the VIP section. She did not recognize him as a regular, nor the other two gentlemen with her. Her admirer was certainly not trying to be unobtrusive about his appraisal of her, judging by his lecherous grin and body language. Trixie couldn't read lips, but his, oh yeah, was clear enough. If she had been in any doubt, it was gone when one of his friends tapped her on the shoulder and said, Nick Mancosi would like to buy you a drink, and pointed towards his friend. Nick gave her a wink and lifted a glass to her. He looked like a sheep who could afford a f- of could afford a little fleecing by his expensive threads and bling. <laughs> Why the hell not, she thought and gave him a smile as she allowed herself to be escorted to the table. Nick patted a cushion next to him and then rested his arm across the padded backrest of the booth. Trixie's eyes never left his as she insinuated herself into the seat. He offered her a glass of champagne and asked, What's your name, sweet cheeks? Now Trixie has never been much of a drinker. 
Alcohol muddied the reflexes and dulled the wits. She normally only drank juices or sparkling water when she was on the job. In fact, most of her frequented establishments were well, of her, well aware of her preferences, and her usual was a cranberry juice and seltzer water with a lemon twist, also called a Trixie Special. However, she accepted the pro-offered libation, brought it to her lips, but did not take a sip. She smiled, placed the drink on the table, and said, Let's just call me interested for the time being. He licked his lips and grinned. Ooh, this one likes to play hard to get. Her would-be suitor then placed a hand on her bare knee. What other games do you like to play? Nick asked in a husky voice and very slowly started to move his um, hand up her thigh as he leaned in towards her. Trixie placed her hand against his chest to halt his progression. Slow your roll there, Romeo. This Juliet doesn't give it up that easy. I ain't looking for matrimony, toots, he replied pointedly. I just want a good time while I'm in town, so play nice and join the party. I promise you are gonna love it. The last comment practically dripped with smarminess. Ew, Trixie replied with a repulsed look. No thanks. Her hand was still on his chest when she firmly pushed him back as she rose to her feet. She also palmed his hefty money clip at the same time without him noticing and dropped it in her clutch. She was about to leave the table when Nick's blonde friend stepped in, blocking her exit and leaving her no room to maneuver. Relax and have a few drinks with us, he said. It was a command rather than a suggestion, punctuated when he firmly guided her back to Nick's side. Nick placed a possessive arm over her shoulders and Blondie settled in tight beside her. Trixie was in a bit of a predicament. She could have dropped into the floor, but she really didn't want to involve security or worse, the police, when she was in possession of stolen goods. Blondie picked up the champagne and said, have a drink. Trixie had a strong suspicion that alcohol was not the only thing in that glass. She reached out slowly and took the flute lightly in her hands. She held it for a moment, then dumped its contents into Nick's lap. As he jumped, she immediately brought her fist hard down on Blondie's groin, knocking the air out of him. Trixie pushed the table over and tried to bolt out of the booth. Though gasping, Blondie reached out and grabbed her. She was just about to kick him hard in the shins when a man approached the table. He was good-sized, fair, and wearing a very nice conservative black suit. He wore his dark blonde hair shoulder length, which she thought was interesting since he also had wore an earpiece like a fed in some movie. He did not smile, but his piercing blue eyes were bright and seemed to burn with an intensity of unbridled chaos beneath his calm demeanor. He emanated an authoritative presence that screamed, Fuck with me, I dare you! He cleared his throat and drew her assailant's attention. Good evening, miss, he began in a deep, steady voice that seemed to rise easily above the din without increased volume. Your father sent me. He's in town for the evening and would like to have dinner with you. The limo is waiting out front if you would care to join me. At first he was addressing her, but the last sentence he was staring directly into the eyes of Nick and his cronies. Blondie let go of her when the newcomer's gaze got to him, and the other two returned quietly to their seats. This pack of mangy dogs was at least smart enough to sense an alpha wolf in their midst and metaphorically bared their necks to the more dominant predator. Though their fur was bristling, Trixley only laughed um, with relief and humor. She did not know why, but she was not afraid of the wolf and happily allowed him to escort her from the club into the waiting stretch limousine. 
Once they settled into the back, Trixie said, Thank you very much. Your timing was impeccable. If you could draw me off at Caesar's Palace, I would appreciate it. Her rescuer smiled. Don't you want to have dinner with your father, he asked. She giggled a bit. <laughs> I'll have dinner with you if you'd like, but just so you know, I'm not shopping for a sugar daddy. Don't get me wrong. You're good looking and all, but you're not my type. <laughs> he laughed. That is a relief because I really am your father, Beatrix. What? No one called her by her real name. Not even her mom and dad. Heck, she even got them to legally change it when she was ten. Now, now she knew dad wasn't her genetic progenitor. I mean, mom never denied having a relationship with another man and getting knocked up when they were separated briefly. However, she never thought she would meet him. And as far as she knew, he had no clue she even existed, let alone her real name. Mom never saw the guy again after their weekend fling. You are Logan Johnton? she asked incredulously. He nodded. But that's not my real name, he replied. My name is Loki. I am the Norse god of mischief, among other things. He winked, and suddenly his conservative suit turned into a tuxedo with a burgundy waistcoat, and his hair shortened into a business cut. Whoa, nice trick. She was impressed. Trixie was sitting right next to him, and he didn't make a move. How did you do that? I'm a bit of a magician myself, but I've never seen close-up magic like that before. That's because it's not a trick, Loki said. It's real magic. To reiterate this, he changed into an actual wolf. Trixie screamed and jumped back into the door. She relaxed when the large canine licked her hand and nosed her arm with his cold, wet muzzle. She actually laughed when he, she ran her fingers through his fur and scratched him behind his ear. The wolf's tongue lolled out the side of his mouth and his eyes closed with pleasure. After a moment, he pulled away and transformed back into the visit she had first encountered him in. Real magic, he said. I can share this power with you and more, if you like, but there are strings attached. To quote a pop culture icon, with great power comes great responsibility. If you would be willing to use those powers to help stop Ragnarok, I will embrace you as my own and endow you with gifts to aid you in your task. So what do you think? Loki asked with a grin. Will you be my scion and try to stop the apocalypse? Trixie smiled. You had me at real magic. This is Jim at Ragnarok and Roll, a scion hero to Ragnarok podcast. The following will be another NPC spotlight. The following takes place after the Rheingold Ring was tossed into the waters of the sunken Scindia, and the police boat leaves the band behind on their own. The gentleman who distinguished himself by talking close to Trixie looks back at the boat as the lights start to fade in the distance. With a wide smile and smug satisfaction on his face, he turns from looking at the other boat, the boat that he was toasting on moments before. <laughs> well done, my friends. Followed by a heart stomping on the deck. And you, my hot-headed seasick friend. As I instructed, we all played nice for once, and we, j we got just what we wanted to happen. Though those wolf warriors will be hard to adequately replace. But no matter, my father was probably on to be using the Ufedner, and they couldn't be trusted for long. 
notices the woman in the police slacker shirking away at his words. Ophelia, you did well keeping Roan's daughter in the area, sending her the souls of men you gave gold, and distracting her with toys for our tithing of that cursed ring for her mother to aid us against Asgard. But how did you get the uber-nymph to fall for one of their band? I was to understand that was beyond your vulva magic. It wasn't me. That was all those two. I told you that before. I can't make love spells. Very well. I just wanted to be clear, my lovingly pagan seeress. One never knows what new abilities of those of us can figure out on our journeys. I'm going to head below and address my fiery watchdog and fan his brooding flames with my victory. Be a doll and call Caliban. Let him know he'll have a booking in Las Vegas. Word is, it seems, my father and a few of the other Acer here are making arrangements to travel to Sin City, and I'm very interested to know why. And what about Loverboy and your New York crew? <sighs> that lovesick fool, Nick Mancosi. Well, I'm going to enjoy telling him that beautiful man he's been telling me all about is married to my little sister. And then, just how I'll tell his father and crew about his predisposition. Unless, of course, he continues to do just what I say. Now make the call, my dear. I want to head straight from the dock to the airport. I'm willing to deal with flack from my captain if they actually call about this boat being missing. But I'm not willing to deal with the scions tracking us again. I'm still not sure exactly how they followed you to your hotel room. I'm just glad they didn't catch me in the other room. Whatever. As our rival band of scions take off into the night, only trouble can be available for our band in the future. Again, thank you for listening. Cumbran here from Neverwinter. If you don't know who I am, then you are not listening to the TNT Journey of the 5th Edition podcast. Get your keister over there and listen to me, being saved by brave adventurers, powerful wizard, a sweet lass who's a noble, a folk hero of the people, a rogue who knows no limits, and a dwarf, a dwarf who's a cousin and a very good friend. Join us on the TNT Journey of the 5th Edition. You might find some Dungeons and Dragons. As I know, there's dragons about. You have been listening to Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion RPG real play podcast. Thank you for listening.